G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As we do on a Monday, we'd like to check in with Martin Niles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's good to be back. Well, Martin, the Queen is dead. Long live the King. You've been reflecting significantly over the weekend. Uh, what are your thoughts on the significance of, uh, well, what happened last week? Uh, a new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, uh, the death of the Queen, uh, the accession of King Charles III. It's all running at a really fast pace, isn't it? It is, um, although there's a great stability and a continuity in it as well, of course. I mean, uh, when we consider, well, what does it mean that the Queen has passed away? Uh, in one sense, the answer is not a whole lot. And I only mean that in terms of the fact that, well, the monarchy is so stable, it just continues. Uh, king Charles III is now king. That happened the moment that she passed away. Uh, and uh, he's already made a speech very much saying it's business as usual, carry on. And I think that's one of the real advantages of the monarchy is the incredible stability that it offers uh, in an age of you know chaos. Um, and uh, the loss of the Queen uh, is 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 a real uh, tragedy in the sense that um, she was somebody who was so widely respected. She was somebody of a very real Christian faith, uh, and I think that that really is meaningful and always something that in this day and age we we need to be very grateful for. Um, but uh, her, her 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 passing, the thing that strikes me is this. In an age when people have so lost faith in politicians, in an age when people uh, look with, you know, sometimes disappointment, sometimes even as high as contempt on national and international leaders, when there is such a crisis of trust, a crisis of character in all of those areas, here is a woman who was different. Here is somebody who the entire world, even Republicans, are now mourning her death because of the respect that they had for her, because there was something different about her. I think that's extraordinary for her to be passed away at 96 years old, having been queen for 70 of those years, and to leave such an impression on so many. I can't help but think that the thing that set her apart, even from the rest of her family, uh, was in a big way her Christian faith and the duty that that compelled her to. She promised at 21 that she would serve her people all her life, whether it be short or long, and that's exactly what she did. And she showed us what it is like not to live for ourselves, not to live for our rights and to claim our due and to grasp after what we can get in this life and to live for ourselves, but she showed us what it meant to live out of duties, not rights, and to live for others and to live in service and to live sacrificially rather than for self. I really see that in her, and I think so many people do, and we see, hang on, that is a life well lived. And I really do hope and pray that many of us will take that lesson from her life to heart for our own lives, because that is a life well lived. Jesus said your whole life is about duty, to love God and love your neighbor. Those are duties. 
And that's the, and indeed in Ecclesiastes, the wise man says, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. I think the Queen was a wonderful embodiment of that principle. Yes, and that servanthood, that duty, we might say, because of not only the Queen's personal Christian faith, but the faith that has shaped the British monarchy. That servanthood has come from the biblical foundation, Jesus turning leadership on its head and comparing it to the Roman Empire, saying this is what it is to be the leader. The greatest leader among you shall be the greatest servant of all. So there is a biblical foundation, even in all of the things that we're hearing about the Queen and her character, this comes back ultimately to Jesus. Well, there is a real Christian um, legacy, I suppose, uh, in in um, in the historical foundations uh, of the United Kingdom, uh, and uh, you know those principles and so much of what people took for granted about what was good and what was bad really came from a Christian foundation. Uh, and doubtless, one of the one of the notion of duty is certainly something that comes from a Christian foundation. And um, you know, I've posted on. My Facebook, a number of quotes from the Queen over the years, uh, where she has talked about her faith, and she's talked about Jesus Christ, uh, and she talked uh, very clearly in some of her Christmas addresses about the fact that his teachings are the foundation for her life, and of course he taught about duties, uh, and she also spoke about the fact that uh, she relied on God's steadfast love uh, in her life, uh, and she talked about the fact that, um, that Jesus was a saviour. Uh, and so she believed all of these things about Jesus, and she believed the teachings of Jesus. And so there's no doubt in my mind <clears throat> that she was heavily shaped uh, by her faith in this particular respect. And, you know, that's you know I can't you know there's, that, there's at the moment no clear evidence that that Charles shares that faith in the same way. Um, but um, you know, we we used to, the, the world sang "God Save the Queen" for years and years and years, and I can't help but reflect on the fact that he did. <laughs> he not only gave her a very long life, uh, but uh, she seems to have come to a spiritual awakening as well. And I wonder if, as we sing and we pray, "God Save the King" over the coming years, whether those prayers might not be efficacious. I've certainly been encouraged in that regard. Interesting as you cast a little doubt on Charles and whether his faith will carry him through, uh, he has been raised in the Church of England. Uh, He has been, as I understand it too, uh, like the Queen, a regular churchgoer. And uh, now he moves into this position as the, you know, the supreme uh, defender of the faith uh, of the Church of England. Uh, There has to be something of a significant grounding in him. But uh, what I can hear in your comments there, Martin, uh, that we might have seen over the years a little bit of a drift from what we think of as a biblical sound Christianity. Any thoughts here? Uh, on Charles and his faith and the fact that when the coronation happens just down the track a little bit, uh, that'll be a major Christian celebration and an appointment of him as uh, King Charles III. Uh, thoughts here on, on, on his faith? Any deeper things? Well, he knows everything he needs to know, doesn't he? I mean, that's uh, just by virtue of being born in that environment and being surrounded by all that history and culture and yeah, church-related things and scripture and tradition. Um, you know, he, he knows everything he needs to know. But, um, of course, uh, there's a difference between knowing and being enlightened. Uh, there's an enlightenment. There's a, there's, a, there's a real knowing that the Spirit of God gives a person. Uh, and somebody could be an academic in relation to the Bible and not be a Christian. 
because the Spirit of God hasn't opened their eyes and hasn't renewed them on the inside. And, you know, I, I can't obviously judge Charles for certain in that regard. I think we're all in a different position before God, and God knows the heart. But um, it is true that he's had a very checkered past, um, certainly did not live in any way as a Christian for some time, uh, had a lot of challenges there. It's true that his worldview that he has expressed from time to time uh, in recent decades has been very concerning. He does seem to be very much on the side of some of the concerns that we have about these globalist types who are you know, looking to create um, you know, some extreme measures around global population and climate change. And, you know, he's, he's, he's quite left in some of the stuff that he's sort of signalled to. And so that does raise concerns. Uh, mind you, he's now a 74-year-old man. Uh, he comes across uh, as someone who is mellowed with age. Um, and uh, he knows everything he needs to know, Neil. So uh, it would be interesting. And he did certainly profess to have Christian faith in his speeches in the last couple of days. He's, I think he's made two public addresses, uh, one at the official proclamation uh, and one in his, um, his filmed address. Uh, and he did profess Christian faith. And so I think what's left to us is to pray for Charles and to pray that as he promised to follow the example of his mother in her duty, in her life of service, in her modelling as a queen. Uh, he said he would follow that example entirely. Let's pray that he follows the example of her faith as well. And maybe if we ever do sing or say, God save the queen, God save the king, sorry, as it is now, it's going to take some getting used to, I've got to tell you, God save the king. Well, you say that as a prayer for this man. That's right, a prayer for the new king. Uh, interestingly, while we're talking about the Anglican Church or the Anglican Communion worldwide, uh, he uh, becomes the the leader of the Church of England, and uh, and there are some rifts that are in the Anglican Communion worldwide, and there is a sense here in which the rifts that have come about just these past few years may actually affect the way Charles chooses positions on things as uh, the you know the supreme defender of the faith. Any thoughts here about the fact that there is some weaknesses in the Anglican Communion that may well affect the way the king will actually rule? Well, it would be my hope that, just like his mother before him, that he will... Uh uh, he won't enter into uh, political disputes or doctrinal disputes, but that he will ensure that he stays above all of that. Uh, and I think it would be bad, just as if, if the king was to get involved in a political dispute in the United Kingdom or in one of their realms, like Australia, uh, or if the king were to get involved in doctrinal disputes, I think that would be uh, unfortunate uh, because he's neither a theologian nor an elected politician. Uh, the role of the monarchy is to give that stability uh, in a way that goes over the top of all of those things. Uh, and where uh, and, and, and it's interesting how that, that actually does have an impact. Uh, in, in it, it seems such a, a figurehead role. It seems such an inconsequential role. Uh, and yet it is so consequential. There's a, there's a certain culture, there's a certain stability, there's a certain uh, certainty and peace that comes with having uh, that, that, that monarch at the top uh, who isn't going to change, who isn't going to move, and who isn't going to be a part of those things that divide and destroy and tear down. So I don't think it's his role to get involved in that dispute. And actually, I don't think he will. My, my real opinion is that he simply won't get involved in theological disputes at all. And that will be left up to the um, various Anglican communions around the world to decide whether or not they would like to go with those 
uh, who have decided to take a much harder line on biblical authority, uh, which, you know, I think is a wonderful thing, uh, versus those who are in the more traditional uh, or the uh, more keeping the status quo. Martin, there is some thought that with the passing of the Queen that Australia is going to be thrown into its own identity crisis and the thought of Republican referendums and such things. Uh, I know that the Prime Minister says this is not the time to talk about a move towards a republic. How long that might last might be a matter for what happens in the media. But uh, he's got his priority in enshrining an Indigenous voice to the Parliament. Now, there's a lot of things in here, and even, I imagine, the accession of uh, King Charles III even has a influence upon the direction of Australia, so far as an Indigenous voice to the Parliament and such things. Any thoughts here on some of the things that there'll be impacts on uh, over the times ahead? Because uh, our whole future, in some sense, uh, with our identity, gets thrown into a little bit of turmoil. Any thoughts here for the future? Well, I think one of the big things is that the uh, those who would like Australia to become a republic, uh, so to separate ourselves from Great Britain, uh, and from the monarchy, will be wondering whether there's an opportunity here. Uh, I know some of the more distasteful ones have already uh, tweeted and said things, like uh, I think uh, Greens leader Adam Band said something, and you know it, it, I think Albanese was right when he said, "Look, it's really not the time. Uh, let's at least uh, let's at least wait a minute." Uh, now this debate will come back, uh, and whether or not we become a republic will come on the agenda. It really will depend on the public mood, which is hard to pick. Uh, but but at, certainly at the moment, I don't detect any public mood whatsoever to move away from a monarchy or to change the way we are governed. Um, and personally, I have come to a position where I think it's actually a pretty good idea to keep the monarchy, to keep our, to keep the queen or the king as the head of state, uh, just because the alternative is to have a presidential style system. And, you know, to get all of the politics of that uh, and to have to deal with corruption and the power mongering and all this kind of stuff that goes along and the celebrity and you know, I just think to myself I don't think that's superior I really don't I think it's superior to have somebody who is who is removed from all of that uh, and who isn't swayed by all of that and who is genuinely apolitical and genuinely a rock of stability through the ages uh, and also geographically separated and so very hard to uh, really exert any kind of political pressure on them. I think the monarchy is as good a system as we're going to get personally, but I think the debate that we'll be watching over the next few months will be whether the Republican move uh, and whether the government we have will go after the Republican sentiment in the coming months. Well, there'll be a need for a working model if there's going to be a move towards a republic. Now, the interesting thing here when we reflect on the British model, uh, is that there is a lot of symbolism that comes, and particularly timely around the death of the Queen and uh, a coronation ahead, but the ceremonial ways that the British have got their whole uh, stability worked out, uh, this symbolism is very important. And so... If you're looking for a new model for a republic, uh, you don't actually have historic symbolism to be able to uh, to rest on. So it gives real weight to the fact that uh, staying with a monarchy may actually be the best way to maintain stability. Any thoughts here on symbolism at all, Martin? 
Well, uh, it's interesting that they retain symbolism and that they retain ceremony and that they retain uh, all of these things. Um, and I think there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a psychology around that, or there's a um, there's a worldview around that, which namely is that look, uh, good things are very difficult to build, uh, and systems and processes and uh, all of this stuff is actually difficult to build and it's difficult to get right. And so they don't change it quickly. They don't change it hastily. They don't mess with it uh, for no reason. <laughs> they, they, and, and whatever changes they do make are very, very small and very, very careful because, and I think it's Sir Roger Scruton who said, you know, good things are, e- are, are difficult to build, but they're easy to destroy. Uh, and that's my concern as well when you come in and you say, well, the system on which things are built, we're just going to turn it over uh, in a second. We're just going to have a vote and throw out the whole thing and put in something in its place. I sit there and go, yeah, well, it was very easy to destroy what you had. And maybe you don't know what you had until it's gone. And you realize that you're not so smart that you can make a new thing uh, of this level of complexity and gravity and importance, which is perfect from the beginning. Uh, and so tradition is basically the sense that, yeah, it has been difficult to build this. Uh, we think it's about as good as we can make it right now, and we're not going to quickly change things. We're not going to necessarily change things. And I, I, I have come to that mindset because we have seen so much destruction in recent times of things that were good, of things that were uh, uh, culturally right, uh, and we see people coming along with new ideologies and they want to throw out what is good and traditional and decent and they want to replace it with more radical stuff. And it's so easy to do, to destroy all of these good things. Uh, but, gee, uh, maybe we should just slow down a bit and realise that, yeah, good things are easy to break, not easy to make. Well, Martin, over the next couple of weeks, lots of us will be thinking very deeply about models and symbols and what they actually mean to us. And uh, given that there's a 10-day official mourning period, and then, of course, we'll have our own national day of mourning, Thursday, the 22nd of September, on the return of the Prime Minister from the UK. Uh, Some might be thinking that after the... Uh, the funeral for the Queen, uh, maybe all of these things will blow away and, and maybe that, that National Day of Mourning might be a few days too late. Uh, I know that's all part of the protocols and those sorts of things like that, but what are your thoughts on the fact that we've got a public holiday in Australia, a focus on a National Day of Mourning, but it will be uh, three or four days after the burial of the Queen? Yeah, look, I think that it still works just because of the... Um the sheer magnitude of who she was. Um, you know, there is no, I mean, somebody said the other day that I was watching, uh, they said there's nobody in the world who would be more widely known and respected than the queen. And I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, everybody everywhere, even outside the Commonwealth knows who the queen is, uh, and tends to have a degree of respect for her. Um, and uh, she has been the longest reigning monarch in British history. Uh, and not only is it just the fact of the long time, but that respect factor is there as well. So uh, for my, from my point of view, I, I think a lengthy process of remembrance, of acknowledgement, of respect and mourning, it's absolutely fine. Uh, you know, you won't get any disappointment from me. You might have discerned from this conversation that I, I, I quite appreciated the Queen, and uh, I still do. And I think she was a wonderful symbol, a wonderful model of service for us all. And she did her job just as best as anyone possibly could. 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm fine with the idea of, of an extended period like that. I, I think that that's most appropriate. And I think lots of listeners uh, will be right on the same page with you. Martin Niles, uh, there's lots of other issues we could have talked about today. I think this was an important one uh, to unpack your thoughts on the passing of Queen Elizabeth, on the accession of the new King Charles III. Uh, Martin Niles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, you'll be able to follow along those sorts of things that Martin talks about, uh, get an idea of the political uh, issues that are at hand, uh, there would have been all sorts of things we could have talked about, like the Indigenous Voice to the Parliament and about the uh, the Territory uh, Rights Bill update. But uh, just before I do let you go, Martin, uh, something we have been drawing attention to for a few weeks now, of course, is the Truth of It Live uh, event that's coming up. You've got one in Sydney on the 24th of September, Canberra on the 29th of October, then Melbourne, 11th of November. The Truth of It Live, it's it's like the Babylon uh tour in that sense uh your thoughts on on how things are going uh, I, you know I, I know you've got thousands of registrations uh you're going to be talking about babylon uh you know in different uh, elements here give us a, a quick description before i let you go of what you'll be talking about well sure neil so this is a, a three-part series um although you don't have to come to all three you sh- you'll only be able to come to one and it'll stand alone uh and it is called babylon it's our series of events there's an event in sydney 24th of September, a Saturday night, International Convention Centre. That's the first one. Then you've got Canberra on the 29th of October, Melbourne on the 11th of November. Uh, and the whole idea is basically to uh, talk about what it means to live for God in uh, a challenging sort of paganistic kind of culture, which is what Babylon was in the Bible, right, in, in the days of Daniel. Uh, and it's that, but also a whole bunch of other exciting things to really encourage people to strengthen their faith, renew courage, renew their hope for times such as these to really live boldly uh, in the world in which we live. Of course, these are the last three events in our Truth of It Live series, which went all around the country last year. Uh, I would say this, Sydney is right on the cusp of selling out. So uh, go to the ACL website and grab your tickets. They're only $18 uh, while you can. That really will close very, very soon. Canberra, which is not until the 29th of October, is over 70% full. There's still space in Melbourne. That's not till the 11th of November, but Melbourne's a big venue, so come along and bring your friends and make that exciting. But these are big events. Thousands and thousands are coming, so uh, it's going to be very exciting. So for listeners, you can affirm those dates and register, get a ticket to be a part of that event. You'll find those at acl.org.au. That's the website of the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. Martin Niles, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.